Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gills Talk. Today, we have Jasmine Graham, who is a Gills Club scientist, but is also the president and CEO of MISS, which is Minorities and Shark Science. Minorities and Shark Science were founded by four black female shark researchers, and they seek to promote diversity and inclusion in shark science and encourage women of color to push through barriers and contribute knowledge in marine science. And again, Jasmine will deep dive into what MISS is in our interview today. Jasmine primarily focuses on the research of the small tooth sawfish. And if you listen to our episode a few episodes ago with Rachel Scherer, she also is doing research with the sawfish. So we will not be doing a species profile on the sawfish this episode. So if you would like to learn more facts about the sawfish, go back to a few episodes with Rachel Scherer and you'll be able to hear some facts about the sawfish there. But Jasmine has also done research on the hammerhead shark. So we will be doing some quick facts about the hammerhead before we get started into Jasmine's interview. So there are actually many species of hammerhead sharks. And I'm sure when you're sitting here listening and you're thinking, oh, the hammerhead shark. It's that long shark with that crazy looking hammerhead shaped head, which is how it did get its name. You are probably thinking of the great hammerhead shark. It can reach a maximum length of 20 feet in length, but on average, they are about 12 feet in size. But they do live um, close to shore and offshore in warm temperature and tropical waters, which would be the great hammerhead. But there are also other species of hammerhead sharks. We have the smooth hammerhead shark. We have the scalloped hammerhead shark. We also have one of my favorite species of shark, which is the bonnethead shark, which is a much smaller species of the hammerhead. They really only get to be about five feet in length. And instead of having a longer hammerhead shape, they have almost a, like a shovel shaped head, almost have like a scoop is what I would call it on them. But we have a small eyed hammerhead. We also have the Carolina hammerhead, which is a pretty newly discovered species of shark. Um, it was discovered in 2013. It's very identical to the scalloped hammerhead, but it actually has 10 fewer vertebrae than the normal scalloped hammerhead would. So it's really the only way that you can tell those two apart. Throughout our interview, you will hear Jasmine talking about her work with hammerheads and then also her work with the sawfish as well. So without further ado, let's listen in on our interview with Jasmine. Welcome everyone for another interview of the Gills Talk. We have Jasmine Graham on today. She is a founder of MISS, which is Minorities in Shark Science. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. So for people that may not be familiar with your work already, can you please explain what your current research is focused on or what your current line of work is within the science community? Sure. So my research focuses on tracking the movements of the small tooth sawfish which is a critically endangered ray species we have here. And so I basically go out and tag sawfish and as well as some other sharks, but most of my work is on the sawfish. Um, so I go out and I tag them and track their movements and I'm looking at where they spend a lot of time and also areas where they might be interacting with fishing, with commercial fishing here in Florida. Very cool. We interviewed Rachel Scher uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so do you do any work with her in collaborating? Yes, we do. Uh, we work together a lot, actually. Um, so she 
tags out of Charlotte Harbor. Uh, I'm just north of her in Sarasota. And so we work together. We've been on a couple of papers together. Uh, we work pretty closely together. We also just did mention that you also are a founder of MISS. So I would love for you to be able to explain what that organization is and what you do for them. Sure. So MISS, or Minorities in Shark Sciences, is an organization that I founded with three other Black women shark scientists, Carly Jackson, Amani Weber-Schultz, and Jada Elcock. And we found each other on Twitter, actually, during Black Birders Week. We were all using the hashtag Black in Nature, and Carly had posted a picture of her tagging sharks. And I saw that pop up on my Facebook, and I hadn't known any other Black women shark scientists before, so I got really excited. I replied to her tweet and kind of said, oh, you're a Black woman and you do shark science? Me too. And then uh, a couple of other people popped on, including Amani and Jada, and saying, me too, me three. And we just kind of found this connection that we didn't know that we were missing. And we decided after talking to each other that we really wanted to form an organization so that other people could feel that sense of community and connection to other women of color in shark science, because it can feel very isolating sometimes thinking you're the only one that looks like you doing an entire field of science. So having that community was really important to us and just giving people the opportunity to get involved in shark science because it can be something that's really difficult to get into, particularly if you're coming from a socioeconomic background that doesn't afford you the opportunities to do things for free or to pay for them. A lot of shark science research and experiences and volunteer work is very expensive to do. And so one of our big things that we wanted to do with MISS is to provide opportunities for people to get research and field experience at no cost and to be paid for the work that they're doing. So that's kind of where the mission of MISS kind of grew and we opened ourselves up for membership. We got I think right now we have over 250 members from 18 different countries and we've been able to provide some scholarship opportunities. We've been able to host some workshops. We've recently started doing K through 12 stuff to get the kids involved and interested in shark science. So it's really grown a lot. We're less than a year old. Our first anniversary is in June of 2021. So we've accomplished a lot and we are looking forward to growing more in the future. What an amazing opportunity and be able to find each other on online. You know, that like this incredible organization now has been founded by just looking through hashtags online is such a fun story. And I, I've been following Miss since it started and I actually never knew that. So that's such a fun fact to be able to share. And if I remember correctly, you guys all just um, came together for the first time a couple weeks ago, correct? Yes, when we had our workshop uh, in the last weekend of March, that was the first time that we all four had met each other in person. So we actually formed this whole organization. We've been doing everything, Zoom, texting, emailing, phone calls, all of that remotely. So we were really excited to get to know each other and meet each other in person for the first time. Yeah, it's amazing what you can get done on, on a virtual world during a, a pandemic that you're able to have over 200 members. You're, you said 18 countries and be able to do all that even without 
being in the same physical room is such an, an incredible feat. So just congratulations on all that. That is really incredible to be able to hear all that and be able to, for you to share that. But going back to your science and what you have been doing, you worked with Sawfish. Um, you said you've worked in other projects and such before, um, but what is your favorite project that you've been able to work on? Um, I think that the Sawfish work has been my favorite. Uh, I also really liked, I used to do hammerhead evolution and that involved a lot of CT scanning and doing digital segmentation, which is basically like doing a dissection, but on the computer. And I really liked that. And what I like the most about that is that now that's out there and available. And so I went through and painstakingly segmented out every single body part of these sharks, but now they're, they exist and people can use them and reference them for their own work and in education things. And I've been able to get some of them 3D printed to use for outreach and education tools, particularly like the hammerheads heads, because that's always super fascinating to people. And so I like that I was able to leave something behind with that work. And now people have these beautiful models, all color coded and everything that they can access and use. And so not only was the project itself cool because hammerheads are weird and we don't understand their evolution and it was really cool to tackle that kind of question, but also being able to leave that legacy of those tools and resources behind for other people was really cool. That is a cool tool. I, I kind of want one for myself to use or just have it on like my, my, like my bedside table or something as, a as like a decoration. That sounds so cool. I saw the other month a fully intact hammerhead um, skull or what would be their skull. And it was just so like, there's just so weird <laughs> to be able to see a, a fully intact skull for one, but then let alone have it be like a hammerhead. It's so rare to see one with sharks in general, but that would be really cool to be able to use that as that learning opportunity working with um, different types of sharks and then raise like the sawfish have you ever had a favorite like discovery aha moment so far i think my favorite moment was i was doing this a segmentation of a shark and so something that's really cool is whenever you ct scan them like whatever condition they died in and were preserved in that's like exactly how they are so their lunch will be in there and like anything that they ate, you'll scan it and you can see actually like a fish skeleton inside <laughs> the uh, skeletal system of this shark. And you can say, mm -hmm. oh, well, obviously right before it died, it had a nice tasty meal. And so that's super cool. But also if the shark is, is pregnant and has pups inside, you can see. And so I actually was able to segment a uh, hammerhead that had pups inside of it. So it was a crown head shark, um, Sferna Corona, and it had little itty bitty babies inside. Aww. And it was so cute. And it was a pretty remarkable discovery because one, there was more shark pups inside her than people thought that they could have at one time. Uh, so I was like, well, that's cool. And then the second thing that was cool is just, I got to see this snapshot of development in which the cephalofoil or that big head on the hammerhead hadn't developed yet. And so the eyeballs were just kind of like on these op long optical nerves, just like dangling. 
<laughs> so apparently the optical nerves form first and then the head like hardens and lifts it up. Uh, but they look really weird at that point in development. And so that was a really cool snapshot to get uh, just incidentally from a museum specimen that's been, I think that specimen was from the 70s. So it was preserved way back in the 70s. And I got to CT scan it and find this really neat thing that no one had CT scanned it before. So they didn't know what was what was happening inside. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Wait, that that's I'm just I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that their eyes and the nerves develop first <laughs> that is wow okay um I'm kind of dumb dumbfounded by that fact that you just shared there <laughs> that is definitely a, that's probably one of my favorite aha moments that I've heard so so far doing these these interviews when you are looking at if it is sharks maybe from a specimen from 30 plus years ago if you're actually then physically going out into the field are there any challenges that you face then as being a scientist depending on where you're working yeah well there's definitely a lot of challenges in the field because it's nature and things are going to happen that you can't control and so being a field scientist is its own struggle. And then you add on that I study an endangered species that's incredibly rare. Uh, <laughs> it makes things really challenging. So the, the small-tooth salvage is critically endangered, which is basically the step right before extinction. So that is as bad off as you could be as an organism without being extinct. So there are really not a lot of them. And so that's a challenge. I'm also looking for them in water so I can't see them most of the time unless they're super shallow. So I'm just throwing bait out there, hoping that they'll get it and that they're around. Uh, so that's a challenge. And then also the challenge of being on a boat, you know, you've got to deal with wind and waves and current and you're trying to haul in the line and the wind might be blowing you over your gear and you've got to really focus on driving the boat and making sure that you're not getting yourself tangled up in your own gear and all that stuff. And then you're working with wild animals. So that's another challenge because they're going to do what they want to do, <laughs> especially sawfish. So we always um, have to be very careful when we are trying to, to get them under control so we always say, don't let their eyes see the surface because as soon as they see you, you've lost because there's no way in a battle versus human and sawfish, you are going to lose every time. <laughs> so you have to you have to kind of get them under control before they even know that there's a battle. <laughs> so that uh, is always fun. And then I've also had experiences where we had sharks, we're working up sharks on the back of the boat we had a lemon shark just bite through the steering line of our engine and we we're like well we can't steer anymore with that engine so i guess we're just going to be steering with one of our two engines uh and so i mean they're going to react how they react and the best thing that you can do is try and anticipate where they're going to move and then if you can't anticipate it just get out of the way and let them do what they're going to do <laughs> so you don't get hurt and you don't hurt them Mm -hmm. uh, but those are the biggest challenges is basically just finding the animals, all of the things that come along with being on a boat, being on water, having to deal with weather, a big thunderstorm rolls in while you're halfway through hauling your line and you've got to kind of make a decision. Do you 
finish hauling your line, uh, which is usually just the decision that we want to make because we don't want to leave the line out there and have things die on our line. Uh, but also we have to take our own safety into account. And if we're going to be in the middle of a lightning storm, obviously we don't want to get ourselves struck by lightning. So mm -hmm. it's always a constant trying to figure out what's the best for the animals, what's the best for you, and what's the best way to get data. And so that is a balancing act. So we have to kind of prioritize. All right, so are we going to be safe? Check. Are the animals going to be safe? Check. And then thirdly is data. So that means that a lot of times we have to sacrifice getting data for our health and safety or the safety of the animals. So that makes field work a little bit challenging getting the data, but it's super rewarding because I get to spend time out on the water. I get to interact with sharks and rays in their habitats where they're actually living and not a lot of people get to do that most people go their entire lives without seeing a sawfish and mm -hmm. i get to be with them in their environments as my job and i think that's pretty sweet yeah i you know field work is definitely you have a plan but it since you're in the field it's usually never going to go to exactly the plan that you have especially in florida when i feel like a storm can just roll in like that and it can mess up your full day. But being with the, the small fish and working with them and having them being such a critically endangered animal, um, do you have a bucket list? Is it shark or even a ray? I mean, you're already working with one that is incredibly rare to see, but do you have another species that you would love to work with one day? So it's a bit cliche, but whale sharks. I think whale sharks are pretty are cool. cool. Um, I... I've always wanted to yeah, go and tag some whale sharks or even just, you know, get to study them in some capacity, even if it wasn't a field-based project. I just think they're really cool. And there's a lot of things that we don't know about them, considering they're the biggest mm -hmm. fish in the sea. There's a lot of mystery surrounding them. You're kind of like, how are you that big? And you just like disappear for parts of the year and no one knows where you go. <laughs> That's pretty wild. So I, I just think that's really fascinating and it's something that I'm super excited about. I'm actually going to Georgia Aquarium uh, soon to, I wanted to go swim with the whale sharks, but that I did not get my ducks in a row in time and all of the reservations got full for that. But I'm hoping to do a behind the scenes tour and get to watch them feed them or something like that because I just think that they're amazing. They animals. are. I was at the Georgia Aquarium back in, in college. We did a field trip there for one of my classes and I think all of us, I mean, we were in a room with like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but then you have like a bunch of college students that are there like freaking out. Like some of us are crying. Like, <laughs> and then like all these little kids around us are like, what is going on? Like we're just a bunch of like ocean nerds and there's a whale shark in front of you. <laughs> so you're going to love it. So I hope you can get to do a behind the scenes tour because it's, they're just so cool to see. Going in to kind of switching gears, we did talk about what your current research is, what you've, um, your bucket list shark and everything, but I'm interested in, in learning if you had extra funding to maybe expand on a project that you're currently doing, maybe one that you've wrapped up and you've had maybe, but what if questions about it? So if you had extra funding to expand on a further project or maybe add to one that you have, what would you spend it on? Oh, man, that's such a good question because that's always the de deciding factor of what you do in science is if you have money. 
So I, the sawfish research requires a lot of money. So I definitely, if I had unlimited resources, I feel like I would be able to answer so many of the questions that I have about sawfish. So that would make me super excited. I definitely would put a bunch of bruvs out in uh, Tampa Bay and Florida Bay and off the coast of Cape Canaveral, which is where my sawfish spend a lot of time at various points of the year. I just want to see what habitats they're using and figure out why they are in those areas, if they're hunting, if they're mating. I just, I would love to be able to get some sawfish mating on camera. <laughs> that would be amazing. So I would just spend my whole time putting out a bunch of bruvs, which are these baited cameras that are underwater uh, so that you can see the animals. I think that would be amazing. I also would just put all of the receivers that I could out. Uh, so I use acoustic telemetry to, tack, to track my sawfish in addition to satellite telemetry. And the difficulty with acoustic telemetry is that it's that situation of if a tree mm -hmm. falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. So my transmitter in my sawfish is pinging all the time. Yeah. And if there's no receiver around to hear it, it doesn't matter. I don't know where it is. So if I could just blanket the entire coast of Florida with receivers so that no matter where the sawfish swam, I would know exactly where it was. That would be amazing. I would be able to have so much more data to work with to be able to answer these big questions of where are they spending time? Where are they mating? Where are they pupping? All of these things that are really important to know and then also be able to tell people very specifically where they're going to be so that whenever policymakers are making fishing regulations, they know exactly what areas to avoid. So that limits the amount of disruption of the fishing industry that they have to do because they could give them super specific areas to not fish in. So that would, that would be the ideal. All of the, all of the cameras underwater and all of the receivers, that's what I would do. <laughs> Sounds like you have your bases covered. Is there anything with the sawfish? Um, so I know like with other species of rays and sharks, you know, they haven't seen some species mate or give birth or anything like that. Is that something similar to the sawfish? So the sawfish, a sawfish birth has actually been recorded on video by my advisor, Dean Grubbs mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in 2019, no. 2016, 2017, I don't know, years, what is time right now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the year before I got to his lab, it was, it was actually two weeks, two weeks before I went for my interview with him, he was in the Bahamas tagging sawfish and they caught a sawfish and thankfully they had field school on board and field school staff had a GoPro and was filming at this time, but they flipped over the sawfish to do the surgery to put the transmitter in and they saw these two little rostrums or the saws of the sawfish just stick it out, just stick it out of the cloaca of the mama. And they were like, oh, okay, she's about to pup. <laughs> and so actually in that video, it's like a five minute video, it's on YouTube and the, these three sawfish pups are born in the process of that workup. It was just pretty amazing because at one point there's a guy who had never seen a sawfish before in his life. 
And in the course of that video, he's been handed two newborn sawfish. It's the first ones ever seen before. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And as far as mating, we have a pretty good idea of where they probably mate because we have seen males and females in the same location with fresh mating scars, but it, the mating hasn't actually been recorded before, but we have a pretty good idea of where it happens, uh, but it hasn't been filmed yet. Interesting. That's one of my favorite facts about baby sawfish is that, or just about sharks and rays in general, is that when they're born, they have that little like jelly over their little rostrum so they don't hurt mom as they're giving birth. And that's so like just that evolutionary, um, I don't even know, like just just evolution in general to be able to figure that out, yeah. to have that little jelly coating on them so they don't hurt mom before they give birth, which is, and then it dissolves within what, hours? Or I don't know, is that, do, do we know how long it dissolves? Yeah, it's it's gone it within a couple of days. It's It's completely dissolved and they can go about their normal lives. But yeah, it is pretty cool how evolution has a way of just like, Making that making that work. <laughs> Who wants to give birth to a chainsaw? That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So to wrap up our interview for today, my last question for you is what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, I would give my younger self the advice of don't be so hard on yourself. In life's a journey. And so I think that I'm I'm a very plan-oriented person. I like for things to go like, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And that's not how life works. And if you stress yourself out about your timeline or where you should be or who you should be by this time and blah, 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 you're just going to stress yourself out. And no one's path is linear. Everyone's path curves and turns and everything like that. And so I think that I would tell myself not to stress about it because it's one of those things where when you get to your destination, that's it. You, and then you just got to start another journey. So you may as well enjoy the ride to the destination. So I wish that I would have realized that sooner. I, I did realize it pretty early. I'm not that old. So I have plenty of time to enjoy the journey, but I know in college and stuff, I was really stressing myself out trying to to get from point A to Z and not worrying about <laughs> B through Y or whatever. So uh, have, celebrating those small wins and those little victories along the way is really important. Absolutely. I think that is a great way to end it. I think that if anyone who is listening that maybe they are just interested in sharks, but they know they don't want to get into the science field. That's a great advice for anyone, depending whatever path they're going on, to be able to follow. So thank you again, Jasmine, for coming on. Um, before we do leave, is there your social media or the social media for Miss so people can follow and keep up with you and your work? Sure. So my Twitter handle is at Elasmo underscore gal. So that's E-L-A-S-M-O underscore G-A-L. Elasmo is in short for Elasmo Briggs, which are shark skates and rays. And then the Twitter and Instagram handle of Miss is at Miss, M-I-S-S underscore Elasmo. And we're also on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us by searching Minorities in Shark Sciences. If you want to visit our website, it's missalasmo.org. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Everyone who's listening, go give Jasmine a follow and Miss a follow. They have really great content on there. And thank you again. And hopefully we'll be able to talk again soon. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Jasmine Graham. I loved hearing the origin story of Miss and knowing that they never were able to see each other in person till almost a year after being able to create this organization. So if you would like to follow Jasmine or Miss, you can follow them on their social medias. Again, Jasmine's Twitter is at Elasmogal, and you can also follow Miss at Miss underscore Elasmo. You can also follow along with the Gills Talk and as well as the Gills Club over on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search the Gills Club and you'll be able to follow us on all those social media platforms. So until next week with our next interview, have a great week. Remember to keep exploring and keep learning and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye everyone.